Welcome to Real Life, the program that talks about the life of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond. The people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate with your host, broker associate of Sotheby's International Realty, John Christopher. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have the Executive Director of Sales in Rhinebeck, New York, Lisa Fountain. Hey, Lisa, how are you today? I'm great, John. How are you doing? Wonderful. Now that you're on the program, before we talk about the uh, Rhinebeck market, let's talk a little bit about you. You were a lawyer before going into real estate. What type of lawyer were you? I was primarily, my practice was securities. I was with the Securities and Exchange Commission prosecuting securities fraud um, in Washington, D.C. and New York City. That must have been fun, right? It was very fun. I was also in private practice, but that that was my main experience. Thank you. How long were you doing that? Oh, let's see. I've been practicing since 1984. And, and while I'm not, I haven't been actively practicing in New York or Texas for the last 10 years, I guess, five years. Gotcha. What prompted you to uh, segue into real estate from law? Well, my family's always been in real estate. And uh, I think it was in uh, 1998 that I started selling in up on the Upper West Side while I was practicing law. Don't tell the federal wow. government. And I, I um, really enjoyed it and, and, and sort of took to it like a duck to water. That's fabulous. Um, do you think uh, being a lawyer has helped you in, in real estate? And if so, how so? Tremendously. It is, it is, first of all, I understand transactions. Um, I'm not intimidated by any of the language that is used in deals. I've, I've been involved in very high-end financial uh, securities offerings. Um, I believe the clients are inspired by my experience and understanding of finance. And I can speak fluently in that regard. So it helps a great deal. Wow. Um, what do you find gratifying about real estate? You know, I don't want to sound cliched, but I think, you know, helping clients who I develop a relationship with, um, who we become good friends and I'm able to help them. And we often stay in touch. This doesn't happen with everyone. But I would say five or six clients during the year probably become my friends. And I think that's what I like about real estate are the relationships. Yeah, there is something. I, I, I understand it perfectly. I, in fact, one of my uh, best friends was a client. So, you know, it's interesting how friendships develop. I'm actually marrying a woman that I sold a house to. You're kid Congratulations. That's Thank wonderful. You for we're getting married November 12th. So there you go. Oh, that's that is it. wonderful. I, I'm so that's, happy for you. You see, real estate, relationships, that's it. you never know. There you go. There you go. You can't beat it. Now, you were, uh, you had mentioned you were uh, in New York City uh, with real estate and you were a top producer then, too. Um, yes. What tra traits do you attribute to your success? Hard work, which again, cliche, but seriously, just showing up every day like it's a real job, persistence, getting your marketing out, 
getting, getting, you know, being around people who are selling real estate and getting feedback and, and learning from them. Um, and just really the same thing that helped me succeed as a lawyer. Um, and I would say it's persistence. Persistence is always ruled a day for me. Well, that's great. That is really good. Good advice. Uh, speaking of advice, what kind of advice would you give to someone who was thinking about coming into the uh, becoming a, a real estate agent? Well, I think that I would, if if I were them, and this is in an ideal situation, start out as an administrative assistant or as an assistant to a broker and see if you like the business. And you'll also mm -hmm. learn a tremendous amount that will lay the groundwork and give you a head start against other rookie brokers. So I would think that's the best way. If you're just getting involved and you, it, it, it from you know not knowing anything about real estate, then I would I would immediately start talking to all the top brokers in the office and asking for can I help you? Can I do a showing? What can I do for you? And just start getting involved that way. That's fabulous. You know, it's funny. Uh, I wish I had known you years ago when I first began in the business, but that's what I did. I yeah. uh, apprenticed under uh, actually a manager of an office uh, who was very good, you know, in, in uh, sharing her knowledge. So, um, you know, it's great advice. I think so. Anyway, um, did you have any mentors along the way that uh, gave you advice that you still employ today? I think, yes. I think um, when I started at Halstead in 1999 or 98, whenever that was, um, Andrew Phillips has was had been there and was seasoned and and he's still one of my best friends and he helped me a great deal in learning aspects of the real estate business where my law background didn't necessarily help in presentation and pitching and um, I, I you know another one is Diane Ramirez um, with who was with Halstead uh, she was. Uh, at one point uh, down in the Tribeca office, but it became an, um, uh, a, an executive of Halstead and her, her sales meetings and her, just her demeanor and how she presented herself inspired me. And I still follow Diane on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram just because I, I love her. So. Right. That's that great. Um, so let's talk about the market in Rhinebeck. Uh, how's the inventory? The inventory is, it's, it's the, the inventory, that, that, that stumble should show you how difficult it is to explain. <laughs> um, the end, we have a lot of, there are more houses on the market. Are there good houses on the market? No. Um, there are, when a good house does come on the market, if it's priced right, it will sell quickly. So while rising interest rates have pushed, you know, a lot of buyers to the sidelines because homes are less affordable now um, and, you know, sales are down and houses are sitting on the market longer and sellers are cutting prices. But this is a market we've all been in before. And this is what I would tell buyers right now. I, I've been I've been doing this for a very long time and I've been 6% interest rate at one point was really desirable, say, back in 2004. Um, oh, right. So it, it's not necessarily that you can never buy a home again. 
It's just simply we're, we've been used to these low interest rates for such a long period of time. Um, you have to be patient. You have to be very patient. Rhyme Deck is extremely popular and it's becoming more popular. And you're not going to, if you're looking for a deal right now, you're just not going to find it. Um, but if you're patient, you can find what you're looking for, but it's going to take longer. Right. That was you know, years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I, I think uh, what you're saying is it's very interesting. Um, years ago, my first house was on the other side of the Hudson in Stone Ridge. And I used it on the weekends and I had friends in Rhinebeck and they also used their houses as weekend retreats. Has Rhinebeck changed at all from a weekend retreat to a final destination? I think the pandemic, um, I was in Manhattan for the pandemic um, and lived there for a year. And I think the pandemic has changed. Our, in other words, the, the number of students in the Rhinebeck schools have increased. And I think that's because families from New York City decided to make it their home and instead of a second house destination. On the other hand, it is still a second house destination for a tremendous number of people or third house, second or third house. Um, it's not just Rhinebeck either. It's, it's the Rhinebeck area, which we consider Pine Plains and Millbrook and Amenia and all those areas. Um, Red Hook, all the way up to Germantown. I love Stone Ridge. It's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I think I think most people still look at this as a second home market, but more people are looking at it as a permanent residence. Wow. Well, I assume you must have a uh, summer rental market. How was it this year? You know, I don't do rentals, so I can't really address that. It's interesting. Okay. You know, in the city, you have brokers who specialize in rentals. In Rhine, in the Rhinebeck area, there are very few. Now, I do see occasionally really beautiful homes on acreage uh, go up for a season, you know, for the summer mm -hmm. or for Christmas. And in general, it's pretty expensive. It's it's usually about thirty thousand for maybe the forty thousand for a summer season for one of those homes. But they're not as plentiful as they are on the Hamptons, say. Right. That is interesting. Um, hmm. um, has the sales market changed within the last year? And if so, how so? Oh, it's changed a great deal. Um, I think, the, as I said before, I think that uh, buyers are on the sidelines right now. Prices are dropping. We're in a correction phase, which is not. People go, oh, no, we're in a correction phase. There's nothing to be worried about. This is what the market does. And um, it's a perfectly good time to buy a house. It's a perfectly good time to sell if you need to sell. Um, but yeah, it's changed a great deal since the pandemic. Yeah. Right. Um, what kind of advice do you give to buyers that are coming into the market? Don't let the interest rates deter you. Again, I bought a home in 2004 for a 6% interest rate, and I was jumping up and down like I had just won the lottery. So, you know, it's all relative is what I tell buyers. And, um, you know, and they say, well, what if I buy and uh, my, the price of my house goes down? Well, well that might happen, but, but real estate long-term is one of the best investments you can make. Um, it, the market will always go up and down, but I find that once the market goes down, it never goes down to where it was before. It may settle at a lower price, but not where it was before. 
So if you're hanging on for five to 10 years or 20 years, you're fine. You don't lose on real estate unless you sell at a bad time. And if you don't have to sell at a bad time, you'll be fine. Right. So true. So true. Um, what kind of advice do you give to sellers? They're thinking about putting their house on the market. Price it tight. Price it tight. Get it cleaned up. Make it present as, I mean, curb appeal and the condition inside are so important. Um, all the clutter needs to be removed as much as possible. And it needs to be photographed in the best possible light. But price it tight. This is, if you don't, it will sit on the market. Once it sits on the market, people think something's wrong with it. Yeah, just seems to be human nature. Um, have you ever run into any sellers that think their house should be priced higher because their friends told them so? Every day. <laughs> every, every day. Every single day. <laughs> I um, say, Lisa, don't you know that, uh, you know, Harvey's house down the road there just, uh, you know, sold for blah, blah, blah. And I, my house yeah, is so yeah, much every, better. Yes. Everyone is an expert in pricing when it's their house. Yes. Right. Um, including me, by the way, I, I'm, right. I'm just as guilty of that as the next guy. You know, it's so funny. Uh, what's that, that adage that uh, agents tend to, if they're selling their home, it always, it's overpriced, <laughs> right. which right. doesn't make sense, but I, it does make no. sense because it's too close to home, you know? Right. Where are the buyers coming, uh, coming from it? In your market, are they mostly Everywhere. from the city? Everywhere. We get buyers from California. We get buyers from Texas. We get buyers from all over the Northeast. Um, there's a lot of people coming out of New Jersey and Connecticut. Uh, people that are in New Jersey that are close to the city who want a second home up up in the Hudson Valley. Um, so we we really have it's pretty a wide variety of people. I, I can imagine. If someone had some more questions, how could they reach you, Lisa? Uh, they can email me at lfountain uh, at bhsusa.com. Fantastic. Lisa Fountain, thank you so much for sharing your insights in the Hudson Valley. This is John Christopher for Real Life, broadcasting in the pulsating village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3. Please stay right where you are, since we'll be right back after the short break. Welcome back to Real Life, and this is your host, John Christopher. And today I have with me Carl Washwick, who is... Uh, the president and owner of Washwick Insurance Agency. Carl, how are you today? I am doing excellently today. It was Wonderful. a great weekend. No police trucks, fire trucks, or ambulances involved. It was nice. This is good. Before we get into property and casualty insurance, can you give us a little bit of your background? What were you doing before insurance? Before insurance, I was a clam digger. So I'm probably the only insurance man you ever met that has actually done a day's work. And Wait a second. Are you making this up? You were actually a clam digger? I mean, for real? I spent 12 years full-time on the bay, my friend. Well, wait a second. You know, I, I live on the water and I see guys out there clamming all the time. And uh, did you do that? I mean, with the, the, the like the 
not life preserver, but there's like a tube that they walk around with. And some um, of the guys have. I have did machines. that in the summer when life was good and the clams were up. Otherwise, I did it off a tong boat. Oh, ah, OK. OK, so, so there was I, had a, hard, I had a 30 foot down landing craft and went out there every day. Wow. Started now, what, in Bayshore, moved to Patchogue with the clams and then uh, graduated college, got an offer for insurance. And I was just delighted to try something that wasn't weather dependent. Right. Well, can't you like can't you clam when it's raining? I mean, of course you, you can. Weather- but when it's blowing 30 knots or it's, you know, 10 degrees out. You can clam, but there's there's no money and it's not fun. Whereas a telephone always weighs the same. And in an office. And you're not using your back, right? Your back uh, is still good, right? Yeah, I am still here. I am still here. So what attracted you to insurance? You got this offer, but I mean, you've been in it for quite some time now. What attracted me actually was it just initially it wasn't weather dependent. Even if it was blowing 30 knots, I took January 1st, 1980 was my first day on the job with Equitable Life. And it was cold as heck. Okay. And I could still work. And And generally, I like people. I like to talk. And I like learning. And it was, I originally was going to do it just for the winter until it got warm again, and away we go. And that was 42 years ago. Wow, time flies when you're having a good time, huh? (laughs) What's most gratifying about insurance for you? Most gratifying, as I told my daughter, Sharon, there's two things. Obviously, the money, okay? And the other thing is smart people, smart people choose to do business with me. There's lots of places to go, but these are people that could do. My friend Erwin Garston used to own, uh, you know, Riverhead Honda. He could do business with, as I told him, Erwin, I'm flattered. He's deceased now, but you could do business with anybody you wanted, but he chose me. Well, yeah, I think, uh, well, I chose you also, you know. And I think you both chose well, by the way. (laughs) I think we did too. Okay, so for uh, most people, what's the difference uh, between regular homeowner's insurance and flood insurance? All right, regular homeowner insurance covers the regular stuff, everything but flood. So, for example, your house burns down. That's your homeowner insurance. You leave a window open and it rains through it, maybe covered. You, what do you mean? Maybe roof, covered. You may be. Yeah, because what's not covered is one of those things. One of those quirks is wear and tear. So, your window, like today, it's raining, and the window, the rain blows in, and because you didn't cork, the windows need recorking. Is that covered? Probably no. not. Probably right. not. A meteor falls through your roof and destroys your living room. That's covered. The roof leaks because it's old. Probably not covered. You know, just some interesting things. You know, for example, I'm I'm digressing a little bit. 
but I used to have a place upstate, vacation home, and we were selling it. And I got a call from the real estate agent that some young, I'm assuming the young entrepreneur wanted the flat screen TV more than we did because he kicked in the garage door and took the TV. So the real estate agent called me and he was kind enough to wait there for the state troopers. And I said, what, you know, and he was kind enough. He nailed the, the door closed again. And I said, you know, what do I owe you? I said, nothing. Forget about it. It's part of, you know, but he wasted his time waiting. So I sent him $200 and put the claim into the insurance company along with the damages. Okay. I got a denial. They said, well, the damages, absolutely. But you gave this guy a $200 check. Said, well, page 13 or 17 or whatever it was, I am required to secure the property against further loss. I wasn't there. This guy nailed the door shut. I gave him 200 bucks. They paid me. You know, and nobody's trying to be dishonest. It's just, it's not what you ask, as you've heard me say. It's what you don't know enough to ask. That'll that'll come back and bite you. Very true. Now, okay, let's talk about flood insurance, okay? Um, You know, that flood insurance, and correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't FEMA insurance cap at a quarter of a million dollars, 250,000? Isn't that like $250,000 is a drop in the bucket for a $25 million house? It's half a garage in the Hamptons, right? (laughs) Half a garage. (laughs) Maybe, you know, an eighth of a garage. You're right. (laughs) Exactly. You know, flood insurance. It's a nice program, but it doesn't even come close to ensuring the values of the houses that are out here. You know, so basically what the the basement, right? So it covers any of your utilities that you have in the basement. Yes. OK, but the difference between flood and regular insurance is flood is an exclusion. Flood insurance separately, everybody should have it. Most people with mortgages are required to have it. Is it adequate? Not really, not really. And let me digress again to with homeowner insurance. Everybody should walk around the house with their cell phones if they're techies, otherwise with their video camera if they're like me and they're not. And just take a picture of all the rooms inside. What have you got? What have you got here? Because and then do not keep the recording on the premises. Give it to somebody, safe deposit box, friend, neighbor, whatever. So if there is a claim, it's easy to establish this is the condition of the house. Here's what I have. Here's my 37 first edition volumes of books that are on this bookshelf. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. It's just easier and it's a good reminder. All right. Well, you know, a lot of people don't, uh, on their insurance, uh, cover things that they have in the house. For example, uh, like a, a piano could be a Steinway piano. And 
is that included in homeowners insurance or do you have to get a separate, what do they call that? Uh, you want to get, it's, it's an inland marine, which is kind of a funny name. Okay. But it's a separate floater. It's separate. You know, if you have a Rolex, you want to have that listed separately on the jewelry. If that's a Picasso on the wall, that's covered separately. If it's a Sears painting, who cares? You know, but on the claims, you know, for example, I had a flood claim at my own house in Eastport. A pipe burst. Now, slowly freezing. You know, one of these, I mean, I've had the house for 17 years. Wind got under there, burst the pipe, came home. The ceiling was on the floor. Everything was done. Uh, I had a washer and dryer in the laundry room, which is where they belong. When the adjuster came by, he said, you know, you put a claim in for the, you know, for the washer and dryer. He said, but the washer is, you know, used to water. I said, yeah, sure it is. On the inside, not the outside. Right. If you want to plug it in and start it, I'll stand back. Okay. And we'll see what happens. So you got covered for your uh, washer. Yeah. Yeah. I just told him if the, if the place burns down because there's a, there's a short in there, I didn't do it. You did. Right. You know, again, it's not what you ask. It's what you don't know enough to ask. Well, that's where you come into the picture, right? Yeah. I'm not that good looking. Like you say, face for radio. But I and I'm not that smart, but I've been around a very, very long time. You know, a lot of people try to save money on their premiums. Does that sometimes leave homeowners uh, underinsured? Yes, it does. The problem with, especially now with the cost of rebuilding, it's with lumber is crazy. So are you underinsured? Maybe. Maybe what's the core, you know, check with us or whoever you have. And just to see, here's my home. It's 2000 square feet. If it burns down, it's not going to be a total loss because this foundation is probably not going to burn. The cesspool is probably not going to burn. Okay. Right. But the cost of a two by four is uh, yeah, five, six, eight, whatever it is. It's crazy. Right. I know, okay, insane. so yeah. to rebuild, you want to really make sure that what you have is adequate. Deductible doesn't matter so much. It's the upper limits. So basically, are you saying go for higher limits? Yeah, go for a realistic number. Ask, this is what the house is. This is my square feet. This is the construction. What's it going to cost to rebuild it? Here we go. What about pups? What do you what do you think about pups? Pups? Yeah, pups. Uh, personal umbrella policies. Everyone should have one. Everyone should have a personal umbrella policy. Because it's a litigious society. You know, if I have my uh, my daughter just has my grandson, just a new driver. Now he's dry, you know, he's on the policy. Hmm. He has the car under him. It's insured in his own name. He owns the car, but he lives at the house. 
if he, you know, rams somebody, can she be sued? Yes, of course she can. Personal umbrella policy. You know, not that expensive. It goes over everything. It's basically defense costs, in my opinion. This is not official jargon. But, you know, if you have a $50,000 limit and you, you know, and you get sued, you're going to get a third year law school student. Okay. Defending That's you. going to take care of it. How can if somebody, you got a $2 million policy, you're going to get the I'm dream sorry, team. Sorry. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, how can somebody get in touch with you if they have further questions? Oh, they can touch with me. Phone number 631 369 0888. Email team. We all split jobs. T E A M at washwick, W A S H W I C K dot com. Fantastic. Or- Carl, I'm so happy that you've been on the program and sharing your knowledge. This is John Christopher for Real Life Broadcasting here in the bustling village of Southampton, New York, on the only NPR station on Long Island, WLIW 88.3 FM. Thank you so much for listening. And in the meantime, be sure to have an awesome journey. You have been listening to Real Life, the program that talks about the people, the places, and the things that are the pulse and heartbeat of real estate in the Hamptons and beyond with host John Christopher, who also created the music for Real Life. WLIWFM's Delaney Hafner and Kyle Lynch provide production support. Thank you for joining us for Real Life right here on listener-supported 88.3 WLIWFM. Long Island's only NPR station, which you can also find on your favorite streaming apps and at wliw.org radio.